if God has called you to this church or any congregation, what they need is mature men and women that love God that will walk in His ways. The men and women will take those younger ones and nurture them and help them grow. They'll be example how they go through life. And, and this is what Paul is speaking to Timothy. He's been exhorting him as a pastor. Exhorting him on what needs to be taught and why we, we call this a pastoral epistle. But it's as much to every person here because if... Timothy is to teach these things. These are the things that we are to do, and every one of us are supposed to be that. And it's so important. How do we deal with one another that God would have them be? Let's read our text together, though. It's in verse 11. It says, Prescribe and teach these things. Let no one look down upon your youthfulness, but rather in speech, but rather in speech, conduct and love and faith and purity. Show yourself as example to those who believe until I come give attention to public reading of the Scripture, the exhortation and the teaching. Do not neglect your spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed upon you through a prophetic utterance with the laying on hands by the presbytery. Take pains with these things, be absorbed in them, so that your progress will be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching or persevere in these things. For as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and those who hear. In some ways, it's a a confusing passage. Paul begins in verse 11 with two commands, prescribe and teach. Grammatically, this can go either way. I believe that most likely what it means is all the things that he's taught up, how you are to live out this life, but it also applies to himself and the things that are going forward. The main mission of the church is to teach and equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. The main thing is equip you with the Word of God, to get the Word of God into your life to teach you how you are to live, how you are to walk with the Lord. It's been said, healthy sheep, and the Bible likens us to sheep, naturally know how to reproduce. They naturally know how to evangelize. They will just go and evangelize. They're so in love with God, they want to tell everyone of the wonders of His grace, the wonders of His mercy. They naturally know how to give. They naturally know how to serve. So that's why teaching is such a great emphasis. And Paul makes this from one book after another book after another book. And now he's passing the baton on to Timothy. Timothy, this is what you do. Now the word prescribe means command. It it, it speaks of one authority. You're given this authority. This is what you do. You're to show the people what they need to do and how they are to live their life. Now remember, it's a command, but the command really is, is in the Word of God. As you give them the Word of God, people need to know how they are to act. They need to know what they are to do, and that's why there's such a great emphasis upon the, the very teaching of the Word of God. That teaching should inspire people to get into the Word and read the Word of God. And learn to feed themselves and learn to apply it themselves. And everything in this life, whatever you're going through, should be filtered through the very Word of God. When a person is a new believer, what happens is this Word is washing them. They're washed, what we call the water of the Word. They're being deprogrammed from the world's thinking and then reprogrammed what holiness looks like, what godliness is, that's what we talked about last week, looks like. And how do we do this? How do we walk in this way? How do we bring glory to God? So number one, you are to bring the word to them. You're to speak into their lives. And he's saying here the very word of God. It speaks again of a authority, prescribe, a, a administrative authority he's to speak into them. And second is the, to teach. And teach what? Biblical doctrine. 
Doctrine simply means teaching. Those things that are pleasing unto God, those things that glorify Him. Now, when you and I pray, we pray in the name of Jesus. You ask anything in my name, you'll receive it. But what does it mean, again, to pray in His name? It means we ask things according to his will, and we know we have that assurance, but what honors God? What glorifies God? We pray that, again, that we would become like him, we would glorify him, and we would walk in his ways as he walks in his ways. The emphasis, though, 12 through 16, is going to focus on that example. As I mentioned earlier, what do we need in a church? Always... Mature brothers and sisters who love God and love others to to be that example, to follow. You know, when I walk, it's been a while since I'm walking, but when I would walk, I'd walk around the park down there, Queen Queen Lilikalani Park, and and when I'd watch some of the people and I'd watch those professional walkers. Anyone professional walkers here? You might have thought I was stalking you because what I would do is, is I would watch how they're walking. They know what they're doing. They've got a pace. And I would watch them, and then I'd pull up behind them, and it would help me get that right pace and follow it. And, as, and likewise, in a spiritual sense, you need brothers and sisters that are mature, that are walking out that walk, that you want to be like them. And you follow them and do the things they do and learn from them. Now, again, being a disciple, to become a disciple in the Old Testament or in the time of Jesus even, they would see a rabbi and they would look at him and they would want to be like that rabbi. They wouldn't want that relationship that he had with God. And they would come and put themselves underneath him. They would follow put themselves under that authority and learn from them that one day, too, that they would be a rabbi or a teacher and share those things, become an example. Because it was an example that motivated them to put them underneath. From cover to cover in the Bible, it teaches there's only a remnant who will want to put themselves under Jesus Christ and walk the way that Jesus Christ walks. And when Jesus came and he taught the very word of God, people saw him. He spoke as no man ever spoke. He spoke at one as authority. Every one of us here can speak authority. The moment you speak this word of God, you're speaking in authority. But what really gives you authority is the fact that God has called you and you're walking as he walks. People may watch you for years. That example is so important. That example earns that right to speak to people when they're going through a trial, when they're going through a storm. They look at you and say, well, how did you go through this? How did you deal with it? And then you begin to tell them who Jesus Christ is. You're to be ready to give a a reason for the hope that lies within. And here, my hope and trust is in nothing but Jesus Christ. And he is the one that sustained me and kept me. That example is so important. That's how mature people walk. They they walk as Christ walked. They they find another believer and they put themselves under. That's like a disciple. And they learn from them that one day that they too would go and make disciples. And Timothy is a disciple of Paul. Paul points out eight again, or I should say, there's several commands here. These are qualities of a godly minister. Now, there's more listed in King James than the New American Standard and some of the translations because they come from a different text. But they're actually kind of woven together if you stop and think about it. Well, the qualities of this minister are manifested in true believers who want to glorify God. Well, and it's going to focus upon integrity. Integrity. Are you a person of integrity? 
When people look at you, do you do what you say you're going to do? Are you honest and true? Are you hypocritical? These are things that we need to evaluate in our own life. And it's interesting, when you think about this group of people, Timothy is this, this young man. He, he's a, a youth. And look at, in verse 12, it says, let no one look down upon your youthfulness. And it's interesting when we think about that. A, a youth, to what would be in that culture, especially at that time, and even today in many areas, it means a youth is somewhere between 12 and 40 years old. So if you're under 40, you're still a youth. How do you like that? Timothy, when we look at it and chronologically date and line things up, it's probably about 35 years old. He's put into this place as a pastor. There are older men, maybe older in the Lord. They're, they're the elders of the community. And they say, how could this guy here ever lead us? But this is what you need to be. This is the character. This is the example that you need to set. When you live this kind of life, it will shut every mouth. Oh, they'll try and find fault with you. But if you live this life, no one really can complain. Because it's Christ-likeness. Now think about it, he's a, he's a man of integrity, he's a youth, but yet people are still finding fault. So Paul gets him to focus on really what is important. What's important? Godly character. It's not whether you have this gift or that gift, it's do you have love? Because out of love, all these other things will naturally flow in a very natural way. We don't always act in love. Would you agree with that? But that should be our goal. That should be our prayer. It should be, Lord, when I act unloving, would you show me that I might go back and confess to that person, repent, but go to that person and tell her, I'm sorry, I never should have acted that way. That's a person of integrity. Not to blow it away, not to ignore it. Well, that's their problem. It's your problem because your witness is destroyed. And the witness is, is a very important thing. And he says that the, the verb despise or literally means look down on mentally. It's not whether you speak in tongues or you have this gift or that gift, but do you love? Are you a person of integrity? Are you living for God? And that's really what's important. Now, the example really here where it says, let no one despise or think less of you because of your youth, that's the amplified there. And the idea is here is, again, it's speaking of, Keep on becoming. Let no one despise you or think less because of your youth. But there's, there's a wording in the Greek that says, you're becoming this way. Keep on becoming godly. It's like keep on growing in the love. Keep on growing in the love and grace of Jesus Christ. Continue to be growing in him and like him. And it's interesting when we talk about the word example, it's tupos. It, it means putting a stamp down. Like if you took, uh, again, uh, a stamp and you hammered it in a stone, you would leave an impression. Our lives, likewise, are to leave an impression so everyone can see that we're marked with the love of God. And all these character traits that we're going to see, that we are truly the light and the salt unto the earth, and it should be our prayer. Lord, help me be that. Show me when I'm not being that. So again, it's like being struck with a stone, and that's kind of what happens. Sometimes we are struck, and it's going through those difficult times that we learn to grow in him. We learn to consider it a joy when we encounter these various trials. And the mark of Jesus is upon our lives. That word is used, a mark, again, as example, but it was also the mark when Jesus 
had the nail prints in his hand. His love. That he willingly went to the cross. He laid his life down for you and me. Just as a pastor should be example. You should be example. Paul was an example for others to follow. Paul would say, follow me as I follow Christ. Titus 2, verse 6 and 8 says this, Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible. In all things, show yourself to be example of good deeds, in purity and doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, so that the opponent will be put to shame having nothing bad to say about you. The emphasis is not just let them despise, but you need to be example. People will mock. People will find fault. But how you live your life is probably one of the most important things. Are you living for Christ? Do they see Christ is number one in your life? That he's preeminent before all things? That you have appointment with him? When you go to work, if you're supposed to be at work at 8 o'clock, you have an appointment with them. You're there to be a light and the salt unto the earth. Not just make money, but to be a witness. There's someone there. You're there because God wants to use your life as an example to someone else. Now, there's appointed times, like when we come on Sunday morning. We're here. We're going to meet with God. But your life, if it's turned over to Him... Then God sets those appointments. He puts you where he wants to use you. And you are to be an example. What it's saying is your, your conduct, your discipline it is to be controlled. It's to demonstrate that you are a true follower of Christ, that you're following Christ, no matter what the consequences are. It means... And this is a hard one. No grumbling. Boy, it looks bad when a Christian's grumbling. You ever notice that? Grumble, 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 grumble. Again, Timothy begins first with the example of speech. Public and private. That means if I'm speaking from the pulpit, I'm speaking in the community, I'm speaking in my home life. My speech is so important. This is what will make me a light or a salt. Colossians 4, 6 says this, Let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. Every one of us at some point have reacted in the wrong way. Here it says our speech is very important. We, we need to speak with grace. We need to pray, Lord, put a watchman at my lips. Hinder me from saying anything evil. He's putting great emphasis. It's not just, uh, again, don't let people look down, but, but be the example. The way you're not going to let them look down upon you, you, you need to speak in authority, but, but really it's your actions. is so important. Your speech is important. Second thing is this conduct, the lifestyle. Is it praiseworthy? When you come into your, the business where you work, you come into the store, are people really happy to see you? Not just happy to see you, but praise God for your life. Thank God for how you've been an encouragement to them, a blessing to them. Every one of our lives, when, when I see you, when I'm praying to say, Lord, thank you for these people. Thank you for the ones that you brought in. That's the kind of people that we are, that people should be thankful when they meet us, when they know us, when they experience us, that when they're going through a tough time, that you're there for them. If all possible, you're there, you're praying for them, you're encouraging them, you're building them up. You will deny yourself and be there to help them if if any way possible. Your lifestyle is moral, it's upright. It's encouraging. 
Your walk should be so encouraging that people say, you know what, I don't know how he or she does it, but I want to walk like them. I want to follow them as they walk. Third thing we come to, it mentions love. That love is a selfless love. It means it's a love that you give and expect nothing in return. That you just keep giving yourself. And there's no greater gift than to give yourself away to others. It's meaningful and people realize that, know that, that you really genuinely love and care about them. Love isn't when you see someone, well, how are you? And you keep on walking and you don't really listen. Or they tell you they're going through something that you stop and pray and it doesn't matter whether anybody's around or not. You don't care. All you care is about administering that person and lifting them up to Jesus Christ. Love, true biblical love, is selfless. Worldly love is self-centered. What do I get out of this relationship? What am I going to receive from this? 1 John, look with me on the screen. Chapter 4, verse 20 and 21. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he's not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. That means that we should not have one enemy. We may feel uncomfortable, we may put healthy boundaries set up, but we should not hold something against someone. We should love them. It's a very sad thing when Christians have not forgiven somebody they're mad for 18, 20 years, 30 years. And they're the miserable ones. Because they try and hide from those people and avoid them. And the ones that they're mad at, usually they can go on and they're happy and they're content. Notice the fourth thing is, Timothy must be trustworthy. A a person whom others should be able to to place their faith and confidence in. And when they say they're going to be there, they're going to be there. If all possible. We don't know tomorrow. We don't know what's going to happen. But, but they're, they're trustworthy. You can count on them. Count on them to, to respond to you. That you can trust them with your wife, your kids, whatever it is. If you can't do something, you can trust them. You can delegate, and, and they'll do it. And if they say they're going to do it, they're going to do it. Trustworthy. That is, that we should be able to trust a person in Christ Jesus. I pray you never trust me as me, trust in Ron, but you trust me in Christ Jesus. The work that Christ is doing, that you see that, and that's how it should be with you. That we trust you in Christ, that you will do the right thing. I I love that if I have to counsel someone or someone calls me to counsel, all I can do is open the word, and I, I trust and believe that they'll do the right thing I share about a couple that I met, and we met once, and they had some marriage problems, and things were difficult in their life, and we just sit down, and we read from Ephesians. I said, would you read this, and would you read this? And, and they both read, and, and I said, well, what do you need to do? And what do you need to do? Well, the Word of God says this. And I never met with them again on that occasion, and it, it's now about 15 years later. And they're walking and honoring God and the marriage is sweeter than ever before. They just needed to be pointed back to the Word of God. Because they became consumed with things that were going on instead of what God had for them. God wasn't the center of their life. That's the prescribing. That's the teaching. Not only do I do that, you do that. And, and when you come to a person, I love it when you're, you're giving biblical guidance, you, you, you trust Him in the Lord. If someone comes to me and, and they, they want to go through uh, marriage, uh, biblical guidance, let's say, and that's biblical guidance, I'm just going to show them what the Word of God says. If you're willing to do whatever the Bible says here, I can guarantee you can have a good marriage. You want a good marriage? Just do what the Bible says. 
that when I give them the word of God, that I know that they're going to take it, they're going to pray about it, they're going to confess their sins, they're going to repent, and they get on that right track. Now, sometimes we have to meet once, twice. It's different because there's layers. By the end, they're his workmanship. As they submit to him, he makes those changes. Matthew 8, look at verse 2 and 4. It says, and he called a child to himself and set him before him and said, truly I say to you, unless you become converted, become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as a child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. The reason I picked this is because that's what we do is we humble ourselves when we come to the very word of God. God is speaking. And when we ask, is God, would you speak to me? Give me ears to hear you will hear God speak to you what it is that you need to hear if you have that right attitude. That right attitude begins with humility. It's interesting, on Hebrews eleven six it says, Without faith it's impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. In an application here, when you come to meet with God, whether it be here or a Bible study, wherever it is, you come, you're expecting to meet with him because he is God and he meets with you. Knowing he's present, he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That means we have to seek him. And some people say, well, I don't have to seek God. Well, I don't know. That's what the scripture says. It should be an ongoing, pursuing relationship. This is what makes a trustworthy person who comes like a child, who comes in faith and believes that when you do the right thing, God will reward you of that. Look at the fifth thing. Timothy, you must be example of purity. We talked about that in, in godliness last week. He must manifest a sinless, holy life. That doesn't mean you're perfect. None of us are perfect. But it's allowing God to live in us and direct our thought patterns. That when he shows us something is wrong, we push it aside. When the temptation seems unbearable, that we know that he's going to give us an out, that we pray and we seek and we follow him and he shows us how to deal with it. Again, in Numbers 6, 2, in verse 21 as well, it says, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, When a man or a woman makes a special vow, a vow of Nazarite, to dedicate himself to the Lord. And then verse 21, it says, This is the law of the Nazarite, who vows his offering to the Lord according to the separation, in addition to what else he can afford, according to his vow, which he takes... So he shall do according to the law of separation. Now, the reason I bring this up is a Nazarite was one who set himself apart for God. He would not cut his hair. He would not drink anything from the wine. But likewise, while we're not a Nazarite, we're not following the law, the moment that you're born again, you've been set apart for God, unto God, you, like the Nazarite, have set apart from God ungodliness, unpurity, from worldliness unto God. We need to be conscious of that, aware of that, and we're separated to him. Not just holiness. That's something, that's the byproduct of what we're set apart to God because as you see him in all of his holiness, when you see him in his walk, it's like when I described at the beginning when I saw those people walking and they had that pattern of walk. They had that example I would follow. When you see Jesus Christ, then we just follow him. We follow him in his holiness. Paul is reminding Timothy that people do not live for themselves. When you become a Christian, you become a bond slave. You've given your life over. You check in every day for orders. Lord, what is it today? Now that seems kind of crude in some ways. Because I have my rights. 
you gave away your rights. You are a slave unto God. You're saying that, God, you've been so good to me. I, I don't want to ever leave you. It's where you and I find perfect peace. It's where we find perfect love is following him. It's when we do this that we become that example that we're called to be. Look with me in verse 13. The commitment. Until I come, give attention to public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and to teaching. There's three thoughts here. First, the public reading of Scripture. This is why when we start a text, I, I read it aloud. And I go back and I'm going to give you what the text says, give you the exhortation. The exhortation can be exhorting you to do something. Sometimes an exhortation is, is one of comfort. And the simple just teaching of God's Word. What, what does God's Word say? Now, it was important to understand when during this period of time in the Old Testament as well as New Testament times, they didn't have the means to read in every home. In fact, probably 50% of the people or more weren't even able to read at that time. So they had someone stand up and they read and they would explain what that text says. Look with me in Nehemiah 8, verse 5 and 8. Ezra opened the book in the sight, and that word book really should be scroll, was translated that you and I would understand it, in the sight of the people, for he was standing above all the people when he opened it, and all the people stood up. They read from the book and from the law of God, translating to give sense so they would understand the reading. It's kind of like a pulpit. It's the first time we get this idea of a pulpit. He stood up above the people. Not to be above the people, but there was a massive crowd there. So his voice would carry out. They hadn't had the word for so long. So he stands up. And he reads God's law. You know what? Imagine standing there for eight hours listening to the Word of God. We would grumble, wouldn't we? Let's be honest. No one wants to stand up. But they stood there because they hadn't heard anything from God for so long. So they stood there and they stood there until they heard the total reading of God's Word. Now notice when he read it, then he explained it. This is where they get the idea for expository teaching. So you read it so that people can hear it. Now you need to explain it so that people can understand it. Because they hadn't heard the Word of God taught in so long. Again, in Revelation 1.3, notice what it says. Blessed is he who reads, those who hear the words of this prophecy and heed the things written in it, for the time is near. They didn't have, again, Bibles to read. They didn't have on the screen that you could read it, and they couldn't read most of them. So there was one that could read, and he just read the Scripture. The Scripture was being given. He read it. Blessed is the one who reads it. Blessed is the one who hears it. And the one who is blessed as the one who heeds it, meaning there's a message for the people to understand. You may not understand every little detail of it, but notice what it says, blessed or happy is the man who reads it. Happy is the, the man, which could mean women too. And heed, heed means there is something there that you can understand. You're not going to understand everything. No one understands everything. Some things we're going to see how it pans out in the end. But there are things that you and I need to apply to our life. And these people were going through persecution big time. They were being thrown to the lions. And when the word was read, you go on and follow it as you know that Jesus was being revealed. He's still on the throne in the midst of the problems. And one day, the curse is going to be reversed. And God will deal with it. So he's telling this important day again that, that there needs to be this public reading. You need to read it to the people. You need to exhort them with what the Word is saying and, and simply saying, this is what the Word says. It's right there. You can see it. 
And you need to teach them. You need to teach them how to walk. You need to, and that idea is not just orally teaching, but it means sometimes it's coming alongside and just walking through life with people and trials. Sometimes it's praying with them. Sometimes it's opening the word with them. If you have questions afterwards, come, see me. Let's sit down. Let's look. Let's try and understand it together. I'll email you if you want information. This is what Timothy was to do. But I believe it's the same thing we are to do with others. Now, it's interesting, this, this reading, uh, it was done aloud, but it involved a, a training of vocalization. Now, the Hebrew just had consonants, and they didn't have vowels. The transliteration, a lot of that came from, is the fact is when they vocalized, they emphasized with their voice what wasn't there. They had a way of doing that in order to remember it. And from the very roots, this is one of the ways we came up with the vowels the way they did. It's debatable. People still argue, but it's what we find in in church history and secular history as well. Now, what is teaching, though, in this little verse here is that the, the Word of God must be central to the congregation of saints. That's what we are, the congregation of the saints. Not only in this congregation, but in your individual life. Our life centers around the Word of God. Not just the Word that's here or here, but the living Word. Knowing that He speaks, that when you ask Him, that He is going to answer you, it may be one week, it may be right away, it may be a month. But He will teach you through the radio, through the teaching, and all of a sudden one day, and I'm sure if you've been reading and studying the Word, you understand that joy and excitement, but he will answer those things when you need to know it at the right time. Now, that word exhortation, it, it, again, as I mentioned, it, it produces comfort, but it's also a, a challenge. It's a challenge for listeners to, to change your lives. And lots of people don't want to hear that. I, I don't want to change. You know, you're, you're teaching the Word. I don't want to change. Then the question is, have you really been born again? Because a born-again person wants to change, wants to become like Christ. It's not how much you know. It's how do you walk it out in your life. Is Christ manifest? Is His Word in your life directing and guiding you in all things? The exhortation, it means to, just to call beside, to comfort, to encourage. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 14.3, it says this, but the one who prophesies speaks to men for edification, exhortation, and consolation. The idea is that every message, every word that you and I share should build up the body of Christ, build up your brother or your sister. It should edify them. It should exhort them to do something, and it should bring comfort. That means when a message is spoken, that's why there's some things here and some things here because we're all at different places in our walk. Look in John 14, 26. Jesus is about to leave and he says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring remembrance all that I have said to you. The Holy Spirit, the helper, another of the same kind. He's the third person that God is. He teaches you. When this word is spoken, the Holy Spirit, if you're yielding to him, is the one that takes this and connects this in your life, in your mind, in your heart. He's the one, when you need a word, brings it back to remembrance. I've heard people say they're sleeping. They wake up with a, a verse on their, on their mind. They go look it up and they find it. And, and it's an exact something that they need. Maybe encouragement, something they're praying about. Or maybe it's in a place where somebody's at and you've been asking, Lord, how do I deal with this? And God brings it back to your memory. I'm glad it doesn't depend upon my memory. It's not like it used to be when I'm younger. And you understand that in your own life. So the teaching, again, is just this teaching. It's doctrine. 
so we understand. But it's to be faithfully taught. The Holy Spirit is the one that opens the mind. Well, look with me in verse 14. It says, do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed upon you through a prophetic utterance, which is with the laying of hands upon the presbytery. Now, let me address that word presbytery. A better word probably to fit in there is just the word elder. That would include pastors or elders. Some elders are teaching elders. Some are administrative elders. They're spiritual leaders. They do the biblical guidance. So what has happened is that these people, they they can be prophets. In in a New Testament sense, means we don't have the office of prophet, but people can prophesy. They're the ones that are ministering. That's the ones that when you're going through a difficult time, they're the ones that sit down and open the scripture with you and share with you. Now notice again what it says, do not neglect the spiritual gift. If I ask you, do you have a spiritual gift, every hand should go up. You have at least one gift, if not two, three, four gifts, as you need it. The emphasis, sadly, on much of the church is upon tongues, which only edify self. But all the other gifts, stop and think about, are to edify and build up the body of Christ and bring glory to God. This gift... We don't know what this gift is. Some believe it was a a gift of teaching. But it appears to be Timothy knew and others knew. It says, do not neglect the spiritual gift. Notice, it's within you. So it's not an office of a teacher. It's not a pastor or evangelist in in a sense of office. It's the gift inside. It's a desire to, to do something, motivated to do something. Paul would talk about Woe to me if I do not teach the Word of God. Something within him, a driving force that God instills. You know, if you have the gift of helps, you, you see someone fall or you see someone in need, you, you just have to help them. It's instilled deeply in your heart. And the gifts, remember, are sovereignly given by the Holy Spirit. It's not something you can pick and choose. You can pray about it but it's something that God decides because he knows where he's going to put you, where he's going to move you, and how that he will use you to glorify himself. Now, it's interesting, he says, do not neglect. That means that we can show negligence. Neglect. It means you can have a gift, and if you're not using that gift, you're, one, are robbing God of his glory. Number two, you're robbing a brother and sister who needs that gift. We don't often think of it that way. You can neglect it. Timothy was intimidated, some say, because they were mocking him because of his youthfulness. This is why he needed to be an example. But don't neglect it. Don't let somebody else's problem be your problem. If you think you have a gift, then come and we'll sit down and we'll help you understand what that gift and what it looks like and how it will bring glory to God. Notice with me in Matthew 25, verse 18, but he who has received one talent went away and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. And the idea is that it's about stewardship. God's given you this gift and you are a steward of this gift and one day each of us will be accountable for the gift that we have. Not how much you know, not how much you've given, but the gift. But people say, I don't know the gift. Just start serving the Lord and God will guide you and God will direct you and he'll put you in that place. Neglect can be described in three ways. is is the ability first was given to him. He had the knowledge of it. And notice it was a, a gift. It means it was something he didn't earn. Maybe even something he didn't ask for. And it was for the common good, as I mentioned, for all the people. It was within them, not appointed office, as I mentioned. In 2 Timothy, notice what it says in chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. For this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God, which is you through the laying of hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but power, love, and discipline. 
He says, I remind you to kindle afresh that gift. And I believe the Lord's saying that today. He's speaking to you to kindle afresh that gift. If you don't know what that gift is, ask God to show you. Ask God to put you in that situation where you have to use that gift to glorify Him because you're going to be accountable. Now, believers are given gifts either at the time of salvation. Sometimes they may have it, but they don't realize it until there's a a time of need. Sometimes there's a time of equipping so you know how to use that gift, but we pray. The second thing I want to call your attention to is really the recognizing of that gift and the calling. Recognize that God has gifted you, gifted Timothy in this case, and that calling. In this case, it was that they had spoken about Timothy. They had prophesied about Timothy. Look with me in 1 Timothy 1.18. I command and I entrust you, Timothy, my son, in accordance to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you fight the good fight. There was a prophecy given. And sometimes we discount prophecies given because sometimes people are kind of showmanship when they do it. But I believe that God's speaking to each of us in a very natural way. I remember there was a guy telling me years ago before when I was on Oahu, he says, you're going to plant the next church in Oahu. I mean, on the big island here. And I, I kind of laughed. God didn't tell me that. Next thing I know, I'm transferred here. And the next thing I know, We have a church. It's God's choice. God's the one that puts you there. And for a long time, it was very hard for me to accept, God, you have made me this. I didn't do this. And likewise, you have a gift. You need to recognize. Someone may come behind you and squeeze your shoulders and and maybe encourage you in something or say, you know, I'm really encouraged when I see you do this. I see how God is using that. Listen to it. Pray about it. And this is what had to happen to Timothy. Now again, in 1 Timothy 1.18, it says, I command you, I entrust you, Timothy, my son, to the accordance with the prophecy. Now, the, it was the prophets at that time, they had them in the early church, they spoke. Timothy, pay attention to this. Well, look at the progress. It's in... Again, 1 Timothy 4.15. I'm going to read from another translation here. Months is the translation. He's a Greek uh, scholar. He writes his own translation this way. Continually practice these things. Immerse yourselves in them so that your progress might be visible to all. Again, continue to practice these things. You know, you've you got to apply them to your life. Just, it's not enough to hear it. You've got to do it. You've got to immerse yourself. I use a little different terminology that, that we marinate our minds with the Word of God, just like making good teriyaki. You make your, uh, again, the sop, I'm going to call it, and you put the teriyaki and you let it just soak up, marinate. And then when you make it, it's just so rich. You need, and I need to marinate our lives with the very Word of God. So when you marinate your minds with the Word of God, then you will be walking and it'll be obvious that you've been in the presence of God. Notice again, the imperatives again. There's two, in attitude and action. First is continually practice these things or meditate upon them. The second is immerse. You just need to be absorbed, as the Scripture says, with the Word of God. Now all of us watch... TV or Netflix or something, but how much of that do you do in comparison to the Word of God? How much time do you really spend in the things of God if He's the most important person in your life? The most important thing is your faith. Well, that means you should spend more time with Him than anything else. The purpose is that you might progress, that you might be an example, that people would see you growing in that love and grace of Jesus Christ. I love to go up to people and say, I love what I see God doing in your life. I see the changes. 
They come from the mire and the clay, and now they're walking with the Lord. Now they're discipling people, ministering to people, giving their life away. Now, that idea of uh, progress, it, it means like one who's cutting down the forest. It was used as a military term, the, the people that would go ahead and, and cut the trees and make the road clear. The engineers would prepare the way for the military to go. That's the word is being used. For to make progress, we need to remove all the hindrances that will prevent us from being that example. There are things in our lives that we need to remove from our lives because they hinder that, that walk. And finally, in verse 16, notice the vigilance. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching and persevere in these things. For you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. Every believer is to be sober, to, to be vigilant. Why? Why? The abuse of that says that there's a demon under every rock. The reality is, in 1 Peter 5.8, it says, Be sober, spirit, be on alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone may devour. That means he is looking for you looking for you to drop the ball, looking for you not to stay in the Word. It's very important that, that we be vigilant, we press on, we continue. It stresses again that, that we need to pay close attention to our walk. And that's so important. Take heed to hold on, to, to fasten to. Philippians 2.16 says this, holding fast the word of life so the day of Christ I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain and toil. And the second thing I want to call your attention to there is, is really the action. The believer, especially in this case the, the pastor, needs to have a staying power. He needs to be persistent. He needs to be determined to finish the race. Just as a pastor needs to be in this pulpit, it's hard to stay in the pulpit week in and week out. But it's what he's called me to. It's the same thing for you. He's called you. You need to be determined no matter what is going on in your life. I am going to meet with the Lord. I'm going to be in his word. And I'm not going to let any relationship, anything, prevent me from making God first in my life. Now here's the punchline. If you do these things, this is important. The result will. First for the pastor and, of course, for you as well. It will protect him morally. Doctrinal soundness. It will come from, from the pulpit. Whatever pastor he is, if he adheres to these, they will be sound. It's not saying that you'll protect yourself in salvation. It's protect yourself from going through things that you need not go through. We stand with me, please? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the, the importance of your word. How we need to take this word and hide it in our hearts that we not sin against you. God, forgive us for the times we've taken your word lightly, the times that we've run ahead of you, apart from you. God, help us to lock our eyes upon you, the author and finisher of faith, and follow you wherever you go to do whatever you would have us do, knowing that it will protect us, protect us really from the apostasy that's coming upon this world, that's coming upon so much of the church. Keep us right in the middle of your will. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.